Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, thank you for trying something new. I'll just reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. In fact, you can find Ben's work all over the internet. In fact, Ben, why don't you just run down a couple of publications where we can find your work? You can find me at Business Insider Prime, Motor Trend, um, Driving Line, and Haggerty Classic Car. Very cool. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca as well as Nouveau Magazine. Ben, this week we're going to talk about one of the stories that you wrote recently um, that's found on Haggerty.com. This is about uh, cars that we didn't know were designed by musicians. Now, the question is, did you know that these cars were designed by musicians or did you just find out? No, I knew a few. I knew about a few of them. So I honestly thought there were more than there (laughs) actually were. And when I I started when that happened, when I started our own like like make make belief list. Yeah. Well, it (laughs) makes it hard when like you. So. I had pitched an article idea, and I thought there'd be a lot to write about, and it turns out there were only four <laughs> um, that that I considered legitimate anyway. So it, it was a challenge. Well, I ended up going pretty deep on these cars, but they're pretty neat. Some of them are more neat than others. I kind of want to do this out of order, though, Sammy, because I think the most interesting car on this entire list is the Marauder Cezeda V16T. Okay. Uh, let me, tell me about this. Oh yeah, this is the most badass, this is such a rad car. I, I am in love with this thing. It looks so cool. Does it not have also the wildest headlight design or something? Pop-up headlights? It has like, mistaken? it has the, it's the car you see where it has like the, the double pop-up headlights. Yeah. Yeah, so like instead of just one set, there's two. Um, <laughs> there's no real reason for that. <laughs> Why not? They Everyone were just likes like, light. They were just like, yeah, do it. Um, but what's what's also crazy about this car is it has a 16-cylinder engine, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Uh, from where? Where did they find they a took, 16-cylinder? They didn't. So they took oh. two 90-degree DOHC uh, V8s from the oh. Lamborghini Uraco. Okay. And they merged them together. And they where are they, and where and these engines are mid-engine, rear-engine. Yeah, How do, well, you can tell it's mid-engine because the rear of the car, like from behind the, must cockpit, extend forever. It, it's like an eighteen-wheeler. It's like <laughs> basically just keeps going. Um, well, that's duh, because there's a sixteen-cylinder engine back there. That's hilarious. So there's a whole. Okay, of, so who's who's the guy behind all this? Uh, Marauder, right? Yes and no. So the guy behind this really is uh, Marcello Gandini. Um, he was. A, the, the guy who owned the company, kind of, uh, he worked with a guy named Claudio Zempoli, mm-hmm. and CZ, that's where Cezeda comes from. But mm-hmm. uh, these guys are notable because Gandini had originally designed the Lamborghini Diablo. And he yeah. had, he had already... I also believe the Miura and the Countach as well, right? Well, yeah. The, well, Gandini and, and Zampoli had done the Countach and, and some Maseratis and stuff. So, like, th- th- these guys were icons of, like, 80s okay. wedge design. And yeah. um, Gandini, he, he created the Diablo, but the the thing is, it was the late 80s, Chrysler at that time owned Lamborghini, um, spoiler alert, <laughs> for a very brief period. <laughs> Why is that a spoiler alert? <laughs> um, and at the time, Chrysler did not know what they were doing in terms of managing... That's a spoiler alert. Yeah, in terms of managing <laughs> Lamborghini or any of their international assets. So they uh, they saw this design that Gandini made. 
and they were like, this is just too crazy. <laughs> and they took it. Well, and I they, mean, what part of it was too crazy, do well, you think? The well, the sixteen the midship 16 cylinder that went on forever? Or the, or the, the quad pop-up headlights? <laughs> So if, yeah. you, if you look at the Zeta, the V16T, that is what the Lamborghini Diablo was going to look like before Chrysler stepped in and added some curves. Uh, <laughs> so, at, but when they did that, Ganditi was so pissed that he went back with his buddy Zampoli and he was like, hey, <laughs> I know that technically Chrysler paid for this design. <laughs> But do you want it? And they were like, yeah, that's cool. So they ended up building this car. But uh, those guys had nothing to do with music. The guy you're mentioning, Giorgio Moroder, he's mm. the guy who invented most of what you would consider electro uh, electro music. He was a huge synthesizer pioneer. He produced a ton of Donna Summer's music. He produced a ton of new wave, or not necessarily new wave, but more electronic-oriented new wave at the beginning of the 80s. He was a huge deal in the music industry. And when you're a huge deal in one industry, you tend to want to be a huge deal everywhere, right? Right. You, like, you know, your your success apparently knows no bounds. You, in your head. Like the McJordan <laughs> DLT or whatever that burger was. He had, <laughs> like you end up doing stuff maybe you shouldn't do. Right. Uh, so he was like, he was friends with Zampoli. And Zampoli's like, look, I need some money to help make this car. And Giorgio's like, I'm just printing money with my crazy beats. And uh, he got involved. And um, Moroder ended up paying for a bunch of stuff, like the art development for the car and, you know, some of the early expenses oh. that they had. But uh, they had a huge fight. And uh, it didn't Like last. a fist fight? Like, or like um, it was broadcast in WWE because he wanted to succeed as well on in the world wrestling? No, no? It, was, it wasn't a shoot. It was a, <laughs> it was a, it was a, a real fight. And um, they, he, he just basically left the project. So they kept the project going. They kept the name on the car for a while. And then they mm -hmm. eventually, once they got to customers, they just took it off. So it's just a Zeta V16T. The car right. is nuts. You can still buy them. They're like half a million dollars. They're still wow. on sale. They're, you... they're still on They built a dozen. And you yeah. can still buy one if you want. They've built two since the year 2000. <laughs> I'm sorry. They built it. They made a dozen. Yeah. Since... 2000. No, they made a dozen since the car came out. And the car came out in 1991. So okay. between 1991 and 1995, um, I think they, they, they apparently built 20, but I don't think they all made it to customers. I think a bunch of those were test cars. And okay. there was a big gap. But in like 2006, the company came back. And, and they made the car, the exact same car. The again. exact same car. So you can still buy it. It goes 204 miles an hour, which is pretty nuts for 1991. Yeah. Uh, four seconds, zero to 60. I can't remember how much horsepower it had. But uh, anyway, it's uh, it's it's a pretty unique vehicle. Uh, it's definitely, this is like one of those cars like the Vector uh, W whatever, W8. I feel like the Vector and the Zeta are cut from the same cloth, even though I think the Vector was a little more 80s. But uh, they're just, these are vehicles you don't really see anymore. I mean, it, it cars are more high, this type of exotic is more high tech these days right like it would mm -hmm. have hybrid or some carbon fiber or something but this is just like a 16 cylinder engine in a wedge and if you want it you can still buy it 
I'm curious about like how they still make how they would still make these things in in recent years. Where do they get those Where do they get those engines from? Were there I, just I'm, a bajillion Lamborghini V8s hanging around? I'm like, sure when you're paying six hundred and fifty thousand dollars for yeah. a, a car, you can make it happen. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. I honestly think it is a wild looking car. I I absolutely do love the design. The I don't know if it needed a 16, 16 cylinder engine, and as a result, maybe the the design was compromised for that but hey whatever it, it's it's kind of iconic in a way controversial the, controversial yeah. counterpoint sammy i think every car needs a 16 cylinder engine of course you do you just can drive around with a bunch of mr burns mobiles with longer hoods than anything else yeah why not yeah all right what's the next car on your list so the next car it, this is very niche we're still sticking with electronic music here uh mm. there's a company called Rinspeed, and mm. they're they're a swiss company and um, they're one of those little boutique automakers, kind of like Alpine the, or uh, what's, what's the other one, Harchie, that you don't really hear about very much. But they they make like whatever handful of cars they have to make to generate a profit every year. And then you look at their like total overall production for like two decades and it's something like 18 cars or something like that. <laughs> but um, they made a car called the Talbo, which was... It, it was kind of like a. Um, there was a car called the Talbo Lago 150SS, which was produced way back in the late 30s. So it, okay. it's kind of a retro design. It's it's very pretty. It almost looks like the Bugatti Birdcage uh, in terms of how its cabin is, is designed, but much smaller, shorter wheelbase. And it's been in continuous production for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And um, in the in the 80s, or sorry, I think it's actually the, the, the mid-90s, they made a version called the Rinspeed Yellow Tableau and Yellow okay. Talbo, which is spelled Y E L L O, Sammy. Okay, there. And who are these? Who's what is Yellow reference to? The color? No, Yellow is uh, Dieter Meyer and Boris Blank. They're uh, an electronic music uh, group from also uh, Switzerland, and yeah. you'll probably remember them from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. When the uh, the the two characters, Ferris and his best friend, whose name I can't remember, but is continually disrespected in the movie, um, they they steal his dad's Ferrari, and it's that mm-hmm. oh yeah song with the really deep voice. No, we'll put a link in. The yeah, video. yeah, yeah. It's also the if I remember correctly, it's also used as the theme song for Duff Man. It might be. I don't know. I mean. <laughs> Okay, yeah. We'll put a link in the uh, in the show notes if you want to see the video for Oh Yeah. That was kind of their only real hit in North America. But it was, they were big enough in Switzerland to have their own version of this car. That's insane. Wow. It's a, it's a wicked looking car. Yeah, it looks good. It's 320 horsepower, 5 liter V8, supercharged. Because uh-huh. uh, somehow that's how you had to do, that's how you had to get 300 horsepower back then. Um, five and a half seconds, zero to 60. There, you can still buy them today. You can like the Cezeda, it's still on sale, uh, but they're they're not necessarily, they're, they're mostly used cars, like uh, they, 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 they turn over a little more than Cezedas. But there's a whole bunch, of, I went on Amazon, and there's all these and? t-shirts <laughs> that what? you can buy that say, it's not just a car, it's a Rinspeed Yellow Talbo. <laughs> what? Really? All How like, popular was this car to have a whole t-shirt design made for it? There's an even better t-shirt that says, all I care about is my Rinspeed Yellow Talbo <laughs> and maybe like three people. <laughs> <laughs> and it has three different that fonts. sounds like a shirt that's made uh, by an algorithm of some kind because you searched it one in, in, in a day or two. Maybe, yeah. But it, it has three fonts to tell you that too. Okay, good. Sense. That's handy. 
the I new, have, the yeah. new car, the Talbos that are made today, they're not the yellows, the regular Talbos. They're uh, they're still available, but they have LS engines. Ooh, that's awesome. Yeah. So they make more horsepower or less horsepower? More horsepower. Probably more horsepower. More horsepower. I mean, this thing was not slow. Apparently, it hits uh, highway speeds in five and a half seconds. That's yeah. not bad, man. For 1996, I'm into it. I absolutely love the design of these things. I want a lot of cars to look like this, even though I was just making fun of Mr. Barnes Mobiles with long hoods. This is exactly what I want. Uh, what's another car on the list? Well, this is this is we're not going to talk about this one too much. Everyone knows about Singer, right? Porsche 911. Um, basically, resto mods that are better than the originals, or cars that can be just completely customized based on mostly first generation 911s. Um, the, the company was founded by Rob Dickinson. Uh, he was the frontman for Catherine Wheel, which was a, a rock band that was pretty popular in England. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it, the, the name Singer it re- references his own past, but also there was a Porsche engineer by that name who had an important role in the development of the 911. So it's kind of a tribute to him. Okay. Um, so I just want I threw them in there because kind of like Rough, Singer is its own thing now. You don't necessarily you associate them with Porsche, but there's no official um, association. So right. they're they're definitely doing something well above and beyond what Porsche did with these original cars. Very cool. And then the last car on your list uh, is is known as the Link Bolt, which I believe had uh, Neil Young's um, uh, influence. Yeah. So Neil Young's been a car person for a really long time. Uh, he's always been a fan of weird automobiles and he he had this 1959 Lincoln Continental convertible that he was really fond of mm-hmm. and he he created this super strange hybrid engine that had a 150 kilowatt electric motor backed by a Wankel rotary engine that was like used as a generator that burned natural gas or hydrogen fuel or both together or mm-hmm. even gasoline it could do anything Ooh. so it gave him Really good that's fuel flexible. economy. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah, and it was it was huge fuel economy and a huge vehicle. And right. he, he he posted about the project a lot. Like he he wasn't necessarily intending to sell versions of this car, but he wanted people to know that it was possible to take an older tech item like his Lincoln and use modern tech to make it you know that much more frugal or that much more environmentally friendly. But mm. sadly, the first car was burned up in a warehouse fire. Oh, what? Yeah, so but he made a better one. Uh it was kind of kind of a very different look. It had it's more of a traditional hybrid. It has a four-cylinder engine with a 21.1, sorry, 21.4 kilowatt hour battery. And you can plug it in and give you 50 miles of range just on the battery alone. But it burns ethanol um when you're not okay. when you're not using the the electricity. And again, he's not going to commercially produce it, but if you want to find out more about the tech that he used to build it, he's very open about that. So it's kind of like a proof of concept, I would say. I liked it when you were discussing the this list. You were like, uh, there were a bunch of legitimate ideas or legitimate legitimate musicians. And I was thinking, like, what they, what doesn't count as a uh, legitimate musician? I was like, well, I guess, like, Homer Simpson designed a car and was also a musician at some point in The <laughs> Simpsons or something, or something like that. But the idea I, – I, I can't believe you forgot about um, – Will I am, who is a guy in the, uh, the the band known as the Black Eyed Peas. No one would be more upset that I forgot about Will I am than Will I am himself. <laughs> he had a car that was known as uh, I am Auto, which is uh, essentially I think it's a, De- a, a DeLorean, um, and it's got a little bit extra bo- uh, like body work done to it. It looks a little bit more futuristic, I suppose, which is c- kind of hard to say about a DeLorean. And um, he kept trying to make this thing. 
and I don't think it really came to fruition in any way or form. I think it, dis- no. it, it quietly disappeared. I get and the nobody feel- knows exactly what happened to it. I get the feeling that a lot of Will I Am's automotive and other projects are just like holes that money disappears into, and yeah. nothing ever happens. It's it's like mm-hmm. a it's it's like a money ignition device, I guess. A money ignition device. Yeah, you just okay. it's, you just add money and you have fire. <laughs> um, I was also thinking about um, other stories that came out recently about uh, celebrities and their rides, and there has been um, uh, some res- some reports about Pierce Brosnan. Uh, if you remember him, he was a former James Bond. Is he still a celebrity? Just curious. Just asking. I think he, he's still considered a celebrity. But I, why wouldn't he be? I watched a Pierce Brosnan movie last month. I can't remember what it was called. It was from the <laughs> early '90s, and the entire plot was there were these terrorists who Don't were. Don't they speak? No, 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 no. There were these terrorists who were using a uh, a liquid that if you drank it, it turned the human body into a bomb. <laughs> Oh, thank and, goodness we didn't drink every liquid we have. And he – well, you could just add it to water. That's what was happening. Oh, and they, you only and they need were, to put that much. They were blowing up senators and stuff. And um, oh. Brosnan played this – he was like a counterterrorism demolition slash bomb diffuser expert. But the weird thing about the movie was almost every scene someone would comment about the fact that this other cop was now sleeping with his soon-to-be ex-wife – and, like, even characters who were tangentially related to Brosnan would bring it up off screen. <laughs> and then Brosnan would burst in and be like, you don't know what you're talking about. She's a classy lady or something. And it was so strange. It was almost like the director was really trying hard to work through something while filming this movie. That sounds so funny. I, I, I was thinking of Mars Attacks. I think he's in Mars Attacks oh, as man. well. I've never seen that entirely. Oh, okay. Well, here we've got the we've got the story about um, him doing the the publicity run for Die Another Die Another Day, I believe. And this is when Aston Martin returned back to the um, James Bond franchise. And apparently, Pierce Brosnan assumed that um, he would get a free car. And Aston Martin did not seem into that into that idea. They didn't know where he got that idea from. He, he more than assumed, Sammy. <laughs> he got so mad that Aston Martin, who had no money at that time, like they were, you know, kind of shakily standing on their own, trying to get back into the good graces of luxury buyers. And uh, they, they're like, well, we kind of need to sell every car we have. And he got into a fight with them and basically stopped speaking to them and had his agent just take over and tell them all sorts of crazy stuff, didn't he? Oh, my God. Yeah. He said that uh, he would refuse to show up to the photo call announcing the new movie where he'd have to stand next to the car. He'd say, I don't want to be anywhere near that car, which I think is kind of counterintuitive because if you're not at the at the at the press event where you're announcing your movie, even if there's a car there. Wouldn't that wouldn't you suffer as a result? It because no be one's sh- <laughs> it seems to be shooting yourself in the foot. But it worked for Brosnan because he got the car. That sounds insane. How can he be so entitled to? Th- I guess he's all about like I, I don't give free. I don't like freely represent any automaker or. It's or, not free though. I'm a hundred percent sure this is written into your James Bond contract. It's like promote the movie you're starring in that we paid you to star in. Please, please do this. I mean, I don't remember if uh, if uh, Sean Connery promoted the Toyota 2000 GT that he was driving around in in that movie. Did he get a free one of those? Who knows? But I can uh, – unfortunately, um, this car is no longer with us, Sammy. It burned down in a house fire in Malibu in 2015. Well, like he even cared then. Like what the – like the, the guy got the car and it burnt down. It got caught – it caught fire and burnt $1 down. $1 million dollars in damage. 
Oh my god. Okay. Uh, moving on from the Pierce Brosnan machine here, let's talk about um, Jeep. There's some news about Jeep in, uh, recently, and how they fare in crash tests is not exactly uh, a benchmark setting, I think is well, the best way to describe it. If you weren't familiar, <laughs> the, the new Wrangler hadn't been crash tested. It's been out on the market for two years, and it had no crash test data. And they finally did it, and we found out why it had no crash test data. And that's because it's simply it's spectacular, Sammy. I mean, they did a they did a small overlap crash test, which is where you hit it. There's like they have a barrier, and you mm-hmm. hit it midway through the vehicle, so you don't hit it. It's head on, but at an angle, mm-hmm. so that the the barrier itself impacts one half of the of the of the tr- car or truck, or even less in some cases. Yes, but usually it's like a it's like. A little less than the the much less than the front the full width of the front end of the vehicle, and and that's to simulate. It's at forty miles an hour. It's a five mm-hmm. foot wide ban- a five foot wide barrier, and it's to simulate if someone crossed over into your lane, uh, usually, or you know if you hit a guardrail or something like that on the on the other side of the of the road. Uh, so apparently, in this test that they that they the IIHS did, the vehicle gets hit and then. Flips, man. It, it flips. Turned, it, 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 it turns over. It flips completely over. It was a rollover. Um, oh and and the set. This does not normally happen. I've seen these tests happen before. Usually, what happens is it hits. There's a, a lot of deformation, and it bounces. It bounces backward. Right. right. In this case, not only did it flip over, but FCA asked them if they could do another test with a yeah. different method that attached the. So there's a, these these vehicles are accelerated by a sled. They don't drive. They don't, there's no human in there, and there's no remote right. control. So this, there's a sled that pulls them towards the barrier. And FCA was like, "Can we do it a different way?" And IAHS was like, "Okay," and then it rolled in that test too. <laughs> oh my god, I think that's I think that's really first of all. If you're buying an SUV like that, uh, there's always been this uh, concern that they are prone to tipping or flipping. And I think they always have like these uh, these warning signs on the visors that tell you that. Yeah. But uh, modern crossovers and stuff are not exactly they're, – they're not known for flipping. Uh, and this has to be one of the most modern vehicles that still manages to flip over while getting to into an accident like and, this, or regularly in, a, in the IIHS. Does yeah, it. I mean, it's, like you said, it's pretty easy to roll a, a Jeep if you want to roll a Jeep. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that's no not necessarily – if you drive like an idiot in any car, you can roll it. But, I mean, a high-riding SUV, it's, it's not going to be hard to do. But uh, it, what's worth noting is with the Wrangler, it wasn't just like the Rubicon. It was even the base sport was doing this. So it's not even the tallest, most, you know, stiffly sprung version of the truck. Uh, Although it rolled, we should also note that the test dummy survived. Um, The crash structure and the airbags and all that protected the occupants. So I guess that's That's a win question mark. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's There's good news there. I also wanted to add that I think rollovers or flipping is part of the Jeep appeal. If I remember correctly, there's like a line of accessories that you can get for these Jeeps that are spare tire covers that say like problem with it like uh, right side up and then. Uh, or upside down, then no problem as it's like right side up. But I think that up. those those rollovers are like low speed rollovers on an off road trail type of rollovers, <laughs> right. you know, not like forty <laughs> miles an hour into a barrier rollovers. <laughs> um, it's also worth noting too that the uh, previous Wrangler Unlimited didn't do this. The previous four door oh, Wrangler really? did not flip. So this is this is unique to the the JL, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really, that's really interesting. I wonder if that's the case, like trucks, 
like pickup trucks, they wouldn't get into this kind of flip as well, right? They wouldn't well, flip they have like longer, this. They have well. longer wheelbases, so right, and, and they don't necessarily ride it as high in the same way. Uh, I would be curious to know if the Gladiator is well, well. The Gladiator, like you said, has a longer wheelbase, so yeah. maybe it doesn't. It wouldn't. It wouldn't fare this it way. It could in, be different. The crash test. FCA released a statement saying that they've never had this happen in in the real world. Um, and they've sold a half million of these of these vehicles, and they they say six point seven billion miles of on road driving. So okay. they, I think that they're trying to say this doesn't represent the real world, but I also am not sure how accurate that is. <laughs> that's actually that's a pretty bold statement because the IHS is a very, uh, I think it's a credible organization. I think they they crash test a lot of vehicles. They provide a ton of data um, for consumers, uh, insurance companies, and uh, media like ourselves. I go through a lot of IHS data to understand what makes a car safer. They've test uh, they test uh, autonomous. Uh, braking features and headlights and glare. And I always think that they're pretty standard uh, and robust testing helps provide a really good indication of how safe a vehicle is. For FCA to suggest that mm, this isn't a real life thing, it, it that that really weirds me out. I don't know how to feel about that. Another another thing I think it's important to keep in mind about IHS and you know to a lesser extent, well, I guess NHTSA as well. But if these organizations did not do crash testing automakers <clears throat> would not create a safe vehicle and i don't mean that by that i'm not saying that automakers would make vehicles purposely to be dangerous but the only way vehicle safety advances is by the types of tests they are they are submitted to before they go on the road and this is why companies are continually changing the types of tests that are done there used to be no small overlap test there used yeah. to be just frontal impact side impact that type of thing and, and now there are a bunch of different there's large overlap there's side overlap there's yeah. small overlap there's all sorts of overlap tests now and the reason for that is they better represent real world situations where yeah you might hit something like a pole is not going to you're not going to hit a pole head on square in the middle of your vehicle right yeah but it also is because automakers design for the test they, yeah. they don't necessarily design for the real world. They do in certain certain respects. I mean, obviously, they want crumple zones and and rollover stuff to represent, you know, a safe environment on a highway if you were to roll that car. Mm -hmm. But they only, much as a student studies for the test they're taking, the car companies would reinforce parts of the vehicle they knew would be impacted in the in the crash testing. So you ended up with cars that were extremely safe for the test they were going through and then not necessarily as good at other things, which is right. why the tests change year to year and why things, especially stuff like rollover, where they have to resist like three to four times the weight of the vehicle itself. Right. That's a figure that's been increasing over time because mm -hmm. once you develop a roof structure that can represent, that, sorry, that can withstand two times the vehicle's weight and you just stop, then you're not progressing in terms of safety. There's no, there's no bonus or reason for a car company to make a car safer if it already passes the test. It's a really right. long-winded way for me to say that. I agree. I absolutely agree. I think it's important for the. Again, I think it's really dangerous for FCA to suggest that these tests are not um, are not like equal to the real world experience. I think that's really it's really bizarre for an automaker to say something like that, as opposed to saying we're going to make it safer. I don't understand because they truly the next Jeep Wrangler will come out with with safety with some sort of safety enhancement or, or a tweak to the suspension or something like that that will suggest that it's not going to flip over in this test.
And and absolutely, you can't rely on the automotive industry to police itself. Yeah. It, it has historically never done that. <laughs> yeah, that's 100% true. And almost no industry will do that. So right. outside pressure like this is important. Right. I also wanted to talk um, on, I want to finish this week's podcast with something a little bit more lighthearted, um, though it is a little bizarre. If you really wanted a cup of coffee and you wanted to express just how much of an auto enthusiast you are, how much are you willing to spend? Porsche thinks that you can get this, uh, this 911 engine that makes a cup of a co- makes a cup of coffee and it costs eleven thousand dollars. Eleven thousand dollars for a coffee maker? I don't know. That seems pretty much that seems Sammy, pretty expensive. It's called the RS Black Edition, and it's made from titanium, <laughs> carbon fiber, billet aluminum, and stainless steel. Yet usually when things are made out of um, those kinds of materials, they're they're noted for just how light they are. This thing is fifty pounds, man. 47.3 to be exact. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I was rounding up and I really shouldn't be. Um, This seems like an excessive uh, item for for a rich person's house. I don't know if this is exactly what you want. Um, I guess it's pretty badass. I would want one if I had the money for it, but I just can't justify it in any other way. If you don't own one of these coffee makers, are you really a Porsche fan? Or a coffee fan. Yeah, that's an, it's called the Espresso Veloz RS Black Edition. <laughs> why did they, why they should have added more letters and numbers to the back of it? The same the company that makes this makes mm-hmm. makes an even crazier uh, coffee machine called right. the Aurum 18CT, which is intended to look like a uh, a V8, a Formula One V8 engine. Yeah, so sick. It has a grappa <laughs> dispenser. It's, it's supposed to represent like '90s era Formula One. It is forty-four thousand euro. <laughs> Who? I want to know how many of these things they sell, and I wonder if they sell one. Is it like that's enough? That's worth it for them? Like that's I don't know. Great. It says one of ten on a badge. I'm looking at. There I, you go. Okay. Uh, it's kind of weird because the front of the engine looks like kind of beat up. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just a strange thing all around. It's got a lot of gold on it. It's not something <clears throat> I wouldn't hesitate to call this classy. It weighs seventy pounds. <laughs> all of their all of their um, coffee makers. Oh no, this one is not. It's Nordic it, Gold Billet. Are I was saying all of them are made after engines like car engines, but this one is not a car engine. This is a turbine, a, a jet engine. They make a coffee machine in that that design. Um, what engine would you want to make? I, I, you don't drink coffee, do you? You don't. No, but I would clearly want the V16. <laughs> I feel like I feel like that's the way to do it. No Wankel engines. They make an even super limit. They make, they make a super limited edition version of the F1 engine. Yeah. That uh, doesn't have a price, <laughs> and <laughs> and weighs a little less. I guess they use some some weight savings. Oh yeah. yeah, this has it has 18 karat white gold and diamonds and royal purple amethyst. And gold lead carbon fiber. These are things that not even uh, Koenigsegg <laughs> uses when building their million dollar vehicles. Oh, so you, what? You want your V sixteen, uh, uh, and I would go for a, a rotary engine, uh, even though I don't know that would just make a mess everywhere. I guess I don't know. I like how Although, there's all there's all these reviews on their website. I seriously doubt Gizmodo <laughs> actually got a review copy of this engine. To uh, oh, some they make a V twelve apparently as well. I don't know. Yeah. 
There but, you go. Um, BornRich.com says the look tickles the fantasy of every Formula One racing fan. True. Uh, if why don't you know what I'm gonna send this out there to our listeners. What engine would you want your coffee mach- machine to uh, look like? And you can get in touch with us by heading over to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. And if you've uh, ever been to bornrich.com, I'd like to know. Yes. I didn't know that was a website until now. Um, you go to that website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. There's a contact form right there, and you can fill it out, and it lands in our inbox. Additionally, you can reach out to us on social media. You can find Ben on Instagram. He's at Hunting Benjamin. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Additionally, you can send uh, an email to us the old-fashioned way. Uh, it's Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. I, I'm on bornrich.com You're all over this. right yes. now. They have articles on their front page from the 2014 Paris Motor Show. So oh, I yeah. don't know how successful this strategy was. But the, the, the latest article, it says 10 female stars with cash to burn. And it leads off with, unlike most of us, the women on this list don't need to worry about paying bills. Wait a minute. Huh? If you're visiting bornrich.com, shouldn't you not have to worry about paying bills either because you were bornrich.com? Then uh, this this story from 2014 on the homepage of the of the website says enough. Don't worry <laughs> about it. Um, furthermore, when you go to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, you can sub- see all of our uh, our previous episodes. Uh, additionally, you can see this episode with like links to our content as well as photos. And uh, what else can you do when you're at, when you're at our website, Ben? You could read. You can't read about Dina Merrill, who has an estimated oh, net worth goodness. of five point one billion U.S. dollars. She's the number one on that list of female stars with cash to burn. I mention okay. this because number two are Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen, mm-hmm. whose net worth is only three hundred million. So that's a bit of a drop off from five point one billion to the number two spot at three hundred million, and it's explained because uh, Dina Merrill ended up becoming the heir to the Colgate Palmolive of Fortune after, of she was a- after she was an actor. So I don't know if she was even born rich. This is a very confusing website, Sammy. Maybe <laughs> I should just stop reading it. I would appreciate that. You go to our website. You can click on a bunch of, uh, of buttons that allow you to subscribe to our podcast using your favorite podcatcher. Additionally, you can just log into your podcast client. You can search for us there, and you should be able to find us. So we're looking forward to hearing back from you guys in the near future. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.